Welcome to Joining the Dots, brought to you by the Hanover Group. In this series of podcasts, we speak with senior industry shapers to explore their views on leadership, reputation, and what it takes to succeed in business. I'm Nick Meakin, Head of Sport at The Playbook, the Hanover Group Sport and Consumer Agency, and joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of British Gymnastics, Jane Allen. Jane is one of the leading figures in British sport and has been leading British gymnastics since 2010, at which time the sport has not only become one of Great Britain's top performing elite sports with 12 medals in the past three Olympics, but more importantly has grown to be one of the most popular sports at amateur level, particularly with children. Jane, um, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nick, and thank you for your kind words. I'm not sure I live up to it, but thank you for your kind words. Um, well, let, let, let's let's start with something a little bit different for this podcast because um, you've had a rather uh, interesting few days um, uh, out in Germany uh, at the um, World Championships. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about um, uh, the, the the past few days and, and particularly the success of the uh, the British team? Yes, well, it, um, the World Championships in Stuttgart were our Olympic qualifying event. And both the men's and women's team went out there with one sole purpose, to qualify for Tokyo. It's a very stressful event for everybody, all the teams from around the world. And um, I'm pleased to say that both teams qualified. They performed very well. But we had a really fantastic individual final Saturday and Sunday where we got three medals on Saturday. We called it our Super Saturday for gymnastics. We had a bronze on vault by Ellie Downey, a silver on uneven bars by her sister Rebecca Downey, and we had a gold medal from Max Whitlock on pommel. Triple world champion Max Whitlock, fantastic effort. And then, you know, we, we went to bed on Saturday night happy with those outstanding performances. And lo and behold, on Sunday, Joe Fraser, one of our very young up-and-coming gymnasts from Birmingham, got the gold medal on parallel bars. And this was his inaugural medal at world championship level. And to be a world champion was just something Joe has dreamed of and made our haul of four medals, two golds, a silver and a bronze, the best ever world championship result for British gymnastics. So... It was a, an outstanding event from our, our perspective. I mean, that's fantastic. And, and, and what a fantastic way to start a podcast with um, you know, a whole load of medals involved. Um, I think one thing I'd like to ask you about, and it's something that um, I think often, often gets forgotten, is, is leaders like yourselves. What is it like watching something like that, where you've got your athletes, you can't do anything more, you've done all the preparation, your team have done all the preparation, but you're sitting there watching your you know, the, the best people in your organisation performing against the very best. What, what's, what's, what's the feeling like from a personal point of view? From a personal point of view, I'm always very, very nervous for them, um, mostly because the National Training Centre is where our national office is, and so I, I do occasionally pop my head in and see them train. And over the many, many years I've been involved in gymnastics, I can't tell you how hard the sport of gymnastics is. It is one of the hardest sports and the training and the hours and the commitment that's put in. When you go to a World Championships and you sit there and you watch them, you just get very nervous that all of that work comes to fruition for them. It's just, you, you feel, if it's not successful, you feel for them very much. Sure. 
And I think it's it's an interesting metaphor for business in general. Is is the amount you you know you know all too well the amount of people that are involved in every you know, not only just appearances at a world championships, but even, you know, to, to be the best in your individual sport, particularly a sport like gymnastics, takes a lot of people to, uh, to get there. How, as, as CEO, do you, do you kind of try and even comprehend the complexity of taking a young, talented gymnast who maybe joins the system, you know, as, as, a, as a child, effectively, to, to the very top of the game? I think that, as a CEO, you take the responsibility of, of the business and what you can do is, you know, athletes that come in at a very young age, particularly talented athletes, rely very heavily on the commitment at the club level and commitment of, of coach and the standard of coaching that they receive. And then that transcends as they go through the talent pathway up into squads that then British Gymnastics physically provides that talent pathway. Um, I think as a CEO, what I see my role as doing is to making sure that the sport stays healthy stay strong, that the support mechanisms to the clubs that actually attract the young participants into the sport, all of those areas that we offer as, as best support as possible, because those environments have to be not only safe, but they have to be fun. And they have to ensure that the child is, you know, a rounded athlete or a rounded participant and that they receive the best possible support whether they are a committed athlete or they're just a participant that's coming in through the club and stay only for a short time. You want them to have good memories of gymnastics. So, I, you know, as CEO, I take very seriously that it's about making sure that the, the organisation, the national organisation, is a strong business that can offer those support mechanisms. If, if I may, can we go back slightly to how you started on, on the trajectory to, um, uh, to bring you to, to, to England and, and, and your role? It always interests me when, when an Australian takes the role as a senior role in, in a British sport because of our historic and, and fantastic rivalry with the, our friends in Australia. Can you shed some light on, on the early part of your career that has kind of led up to you um, being in the role that you, you're currently in? Yes, well, I... Um I got involved in sports administration in 1988, which will hopefully not give away my age, and uh, just worked through the ranks of Gymnastics Australia as an event manager. I became assistant um, CEO, and then took over the reins in 1997 as CEO, and I was CEO there for 12 years. And in 2009, I was head of delegation the Australian team that came over to the World Championships in London. And I was talking to my counterpart in British Gymnastics. It was the president of British Gymnastics and they were um, going to have a vacancy for the role at the end of that year in December. And he just spoke to me and told me about the vacancy and, and basically said, would I be interested in the role? Um, strangely, I had been after 12 years as leader of Gymnastics Australia. I had been thinking about my future, albeit moving to another sport maybe, as I am a professional administrator. And I had been thinking about making a move, but this sort of attracted me because I had a great involvement at international level. I was on international committees, and it meant by leaving the sport, if I went to another sport in Australia, I'd have to start all of those relationships again. But coming over to England, I could bring those relationships with me and hopefully be able to use them. So I applied for the job and, and that's history. In March 2010, 
they offered me the job and I started in April 2010. One thing that um, a lot of people, a lot of the listeners to this podcast will be interested in is making a transition between jobs is always is always challenging. Whether you move to a job that is a mile down the road, you, you move to a job that was uh, the other side of the world, obviously the same sport, but completely new um, uh, colleagues and staff and uh, environment. What would you say is, is, is sort of two of the key things or three of the key things that you learned from that experience that you think you know, is important to other people that are looking to make a similar move to work in a job in, in a completely different environment? Well, the first advice I'd give is make sure you do your research. I wasn't very phased about moving to the role of CEO of British Gymnastics because I was CEO of Gymnastics Australia. There were some big differences. Uh, the organisation was a lot bigger. But I'll go into that in a, in, in, in a short while. But I did a lot of research with other people in Australia who had gone over and worked themselves for many years and come back. And they gave me some good tips. Um, you know, make sure that you negotiate an ability to go home, particularly at Christmas, yeah. because it can be very lonely. I'm sure. You know, without your family and friends, and um, and the hot weather, of course. Uh, of course, <laughs> and 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 that stuck in my mind. It was it was mostly come back and get a good dose of, of the um, summer in Australia. I'm sure. But that was really quite a, an important thing to do because I do have that big break at Christmas, and it does give me the energy to continue and, and gives me a chance to connect with my family and friends so they don't forget who I am. So you managed to maintain that throughout your Oh, your absolutely, years. absolutely. And, uh, and I think the most important thing is when I came over, I knew the sport, but I also got advice that, you know, the Brits were different people. <laughs> um, certainly Australians are a little bit more forthright, and I did get a few tips in that area, but obviously you come over and you want to learn yourself and the one thing I did do and I would offer this advice to anyone is I was very careful to take my time. They were very anxious about getting someone from a different country so I took my time for at least 12 months to get to know everybody, let them get to know my personality. I was definitely different, I could tell that. I, I have an open door policy, anybody can come and talk to me whereas my predecessor had a person that, that obviously vetted who could come in to their office or who, who couldn't. And I made sure that I did drinks on Friday afternoon for everybody. I just did some things that the Australian way is to sort of let them get to know you, you know, share a bit of humour and bring humour to it. I certainly, there were certainly things that they had to get used to because they, they were used to discussing things outside meetings, not necessarily discussing them inside meetings. Uh, which I found a bit strange to start with, but it's all been fantastic. And the staff at British Gymnastics over the 10 years, some have stayed, some have passed through, but they were all fantastic. Very welcoming, uh, very friendly in the, in the first years when I did need some family feeling around me. Um, there were some ladies at the office who um, invited me for Sunday lunch and those sorts of things, which I thought was wonderful. And um, really, I call it my second home now. I, I, I love it very much and, and, you know, it's sort of going to be hard when I do make the decision to go home because that's where home is. But um, I certainly, this is something that's been an absolute delight. I think very good tip to give Brits drinks on a Friday. That's always a good way of... Uh, found out, absolutely. Of them to you. <laughs> um, uh, one, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm interested on um, is one of the things about 
gymnastics is you've got a sort of core team at, at headquarters, but also there's a, there's a very complex network throughout the country of coaches and administrators. In terms of your 12 months of sort of learning and understanding, um, how much of that was out on the road um, or, or, or did you tend to sort of base yourself um, at the headquarters to kind of start to understand the organisation better? Uh, no, in the first 12 months I probably attended a lot of events just to get myself around the country really to familiarise myself with, you know, where everybody was. And the thing that hit, hit me the most was obviously I've come from Australia where you had to get in a plane and fly for two hours to be in Brisbane from Melbourne. The headquarters of Gymnastics Australia was in Melbourne. So you did a lot of flying in Australia to go to meetings, whereas in the UK I couldn't get over how close everything was. Hmm. So so that was a bonus, um, train travel into London. I have to, have to say when I first came and I investigated where the headquarters of British Gymnastics were, I, I googled it and all I could see was countryside around this building and uh, I was quite amused because I was used to living in capital cities. So, For, I, for, for our listeners, can, can, you, can you describe where it was? Because some of them may have heard of it. Yes, Lilyshaw is in um, the Shire of Shropshire. I always get um, jokes about how I say that. Um, and it's uh, beside a small town called Newport. It's about 45 minutes from Birmingham, uh, north of Birmingham. But it's in the country, it's in a beautiful countryside, and the Lillishall National Training Centre itself is one of the marvellous old buildings of um, the government owned the building. Beautiful landscape, beautiful gardens. And when I looked it up, I could not understand why a national governing body could possibly be located there. And uh, so I thought this will be interesting. But, you know, when I came out, uh, I was living five minutes away in the most beautiful little town the quality of life is fantastic it's um an hour 20 minutes on an express train to london for meetings an hour to birmingham to fly to europe an hour to manchester to fly to europe so then it started to make sense i could see it was the ideal place uh, for a, a national governing body and you know i work fairly long hours when i am in the office so to get in a car and be home in five minutes is just you know, unheard of in Australia in major capital cities. So, yes, the quality of life has just been wonderful. And um, it, it's been very, very um, interesting this whole 10 years. I wouldn't miss it. You know, when I think back what I went through to make the decision, um, it, it's been the best decision I've ever made. In those 10 years, how have you seen British gymnastics or even gymnastics in Britain? Because, I, uh, you know, there is a distinction between the two, despite the fact they are, they are heavily linked. How, how have things changed over the last yeah. decade? I do think they're linked, but if I could talk about the organisation first, I think when I first arrived, in my own mind, I saw it as a sleeping giant. I came from a, a small organisation in, in Australia of 25 employed people, and I came into British Gymnastics at that stage, and I think there was about 80 or 90 people employed. They were either employed at the site, the, the National Training Centre office, or they were in the regions, working in the regions at um, club level. And it was just a massive sleeping giant. It was probably a bit old fashioned in its structure. And I don't think it had made the transition from being a sports organisation into what I call a sports business. And so that's really where myself and a very 
very talented group of people, it's not been just myself, that we've embarked on the journey to turn it into a, a very solid sports business and while still understanding that we're the national governing body for the sport and that we serviced our members, which were the clubs and, and the, the actual members themselves, the participants in the sport. And the organisation, I think the path we've gone on is just, just that restructuring and making the organisation understand the futuristic things that are required for the sport to exist as a business. Because if it stays as just a sporting organisation and doesn't modernise what it does, I think some organisations would be at risk if they hadn't made those changes. So we've, over that 10 years, we've made those changes. In the meantime, um, through some very dedicated coaches and excellent support from UK Sport and the National Lottery regarding our high performance program, we have developed a, an incredible um, talented group of athletes and their successes have helped with the promotion of the sport at the top end and that, that's flowed down to have an impact at the community end. And we get heavily supported also by Sport England in participation funding and those participation programs we've made sure have really worked in coordination with the, the, the performances of our high performance team. And you put those things together, you, you really get nothing more than an organisation that moves forward because you, you, you're servicing the clubs, you're servicing the participants, but you also have the role models and the, the, the talented athletes that are inspiring the fans and the people to be involved in the sport. So we've just been lucky. We've just had this fantastic mix. And by modernising the organisation to take advantage of those things, I think we've really given British Gymnastics a chance to survive in a very, very tough world that it's coming into um, in the next few years. And do you think that your leadership style has changed in that 10 years? You, you talked very interestingly about your sort of first year in the job. If you go back and, and looked at Jane Allen in 2010 and in her first year in the role and, and you evaluate 10 years on, um, how do you think your leadership has changed in that time? I think that it'd be wrong to say you wouldn't have changed in 10 years, absolutely not. I think the Jane Allen that arrived um, at British Gymnastics in 2010 really only knew what she knew in terms of how she had gained her own experiences by leading Gymnastics Australia. And, um, and when I've come into British Gymnastics, it was a bigger organisation. I had to learn to rely heavily on senior managers who, who headed up different departments, whereas in Gymnastics Australia, pretty much I was it. So I think I developed in the skill of being able to work with a, with a very, very talented senior management team and allow them to progress. And I think a good leader allows talented people around them to progress. And some move on, some stay, but, you know, it, it's always very, very, you know, you get a feeling of satisfaction, even if a senior manager comes to you after four years and says they're resigning and moving on. If they're moving on to something that is part of their career and they're bettering themselves, you get a sense of satisfaction as a leader that you've given them the opportunity to grow. So I think what I've learnt is, you know, that I had to come over and then I had this enormous ability to get a group of talented senior managers around me and more resources at my fingertips 
So I had to learn as, as a CEO to um, be able to adapt to that and to be more strategic and not so operational. You know, I, I think over 10 years I really have developed as a, as a leader. I'd like to think I have anyway, but that I'll leave that up to other people to I'm, judge. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you have. Now, um, one of the things about leadership, in, uh, particularly in 2019 and 2020, is that there are um, potentially more challenges um, than ever before for a number of, um, you know, we, we live in uncertain times. I have no doubt that in your job there have been occasions where you've had to deal with things that maybe you wouldn't have predicted. What what sort of piece of advice would you have for, you know, you don't need to name the issue specifically, but when you've find, found yourself in situations that are uncommon or out of the ordinary or particularly challenging um, from a reputation point of view? Well, certainly the biggest advice I would give, I did know this deep down in my in my own way, that when challenged or faced with a, an extremely difficult decision, uh, one that could possibly be unpopular or could possibly focus the media on the organisation, that you had to be sure it was the right decision. You had to be sure that you yourself could go to, go to bed at night and, and be comfortable with the decision that you made. And then once you've made that decision, that's the first part of the difficult equation. The second part is to deal with it quickly and efficiently, transparently, and make sure that the faster you deal with it, the faster you deal and treat people with respect, regardless of what decision that you are ultimately made about their future, that you you do it in, in a manner that you can move, the sport can move on as fast as possible. Because the sooner you move on from those difficult times, then the sooner you recover. And um, I've learnt that myself along the journey uh, in smaller, other smaller ways. And there's been a couple of challenges we've had in the last couple of years. And, you know, the organisation has grown. And when, when organisations become big, they ultimately present you with bigger challenges and, and more difficult decisions. So you have to be up for that. And I think we handled them, you know, with the best possible intention of moving the organisation forward. You, you touched upon um, uh, an interesting point there about the scale of the organisation, and, and I have no doubt that it, it has grown significantly since you since you joined. How important is it when you have an organisation um, of your scale, particularly ones that are um, or members that are um, you know not not within the walls of your office? How important is it to have an overarching message, and how do you articulate that um, across the sort of British gymnastics ecosystem? I think it's important to maintain that communication and sometimes that can be challenging because, you know, it's a very, very um, intense job. Um, it's one which requires you to spend a lot of time being across a lot of areas of the business and, you know, you really need a good support um, mechanism around you that enables some communication to be able to be put out to the members to make the members understand. And that is a challenging thing when you've got 1,500 clubs and 400,000 members. But we have a, you know, we have a strong social media. Uh, we've employed a good team to try and get our comms message out, either internally or externally. And we can always do it better, but uh, we'd like to think that we try hard to communicate um, our messages out to both what we call our external stakeholders and our internal members and, and is a key part of that because you know the 400,000 members in, in particular 
there's such a range of um, ages and demographics and locations in that. From a messaging and communications point of view, do you sort of favour the, the approach of having very simple messaging and then sort of, uh, sort of cascading that down? Um, or, or do you sort of pick and choose the messages you're giving to certain audiences and, and then deliver them through the channels that they, they best engage with? Yeah, well, we break the, the communications plan down to, you know, us talking to the customer, which is, which is our member. But in the main, when you re- remember that most of our members are young, we're really talking to the parents. And then, of course, uh, one of our, our main group of stakeholders is our clubs. And they're very important, and the messaging to them is exceptionally important because they, in turn, they have an ability to communicate with the members themselves. So if there's a mixed message there, that can be can be awkward. So the clubs are very important to us as well in getting the message to them. So we, we have different levels of communication that go out to whatever area that we're trying to communicate to, and we target the message to ensure that it, it, it tries to speak in a language that the people that are receiving the message like to receive it in that manner. Despite recent changes in the sports industry, um, it is still a male-dominated um, uh, sector. You are definitely one of the most high-profile female CEOs within the sports sector. Are you seeing this, this potentially changing? What sort of advice would you, you give, be passing on to young executives looking to make that step up to be the CEO of of similar organisations, not just in sport, but but across wide, the wider wider business space. I would think they should be quite inspired to go forth because I think the world that I came through through was very challenging, and I think there were sometimes very difficult um, conversations that had to be had in the 80s and the 90s. But I do think now it, it's about your talent. I think it's about what you, what you can achieve. And I say to any, any young female administrator, the whole world's in front of you, really. The world today accepts uh, females regardless of, of their gender. I think uh, if you're talented and you work hard and you are committed to what you want to do, I think you can achieve. There are always times where you might face challenges, but certainly today's world is so much easier, I have to say, than it was when we came through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Do you think sport could do more or should do more? Um, yes, I think, I think the whole equality and the, you know, the inclusion um, question is always there. I mean, I work in an organisation, I'm CEO of a board that has 30% female. So, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a sport that our membership is 80% female and 20% male. And we have a board that is 30% female and 70% male. So, so it's quite amazing, isn't it? But... You know, it it's, is what it is. The staff, um, I, I have a very strong female percentage of staff, mostly because a large percentage of ex-gymnasts coming out of gymnastics come into the sport as development officers, and most of those are female. But I, I always struggle with this question because sort of I, I tended to deal with everything myself. I, I had occasions where I did meet very, very harassment in certain ways, but I dealt with it at the time. And now I, I hope, obviously from my CEO's position, I've always made sure that uh, the culture in the organisation is one of, that's inclusive of everybody. So I just wish any fem- young female the best and say to them, just go for it. It's the best job in the world being a sports administrator if you love sport. 
And, and, and now one final question. I know I'd like you to get your crystal ball out um, and, and tell, me, um, tell me about the future of British gymnastics. Where, where do you see the future of the sport? Firstly, from a performance point of view with, uh, you know, with a lot of interest in, in Tokyo 2020 next year, um, uh, the Olympics there, which, which we're all very excited about already. But then in terms of the, the long-term growth and, and strategy for the organisation. I think the current crop of athletes that we have have inspired many of the next generations. I think our Paris team, our Los Angeles team, and, and onward from that will be as strong as what they are today, um, dependent on there may be one or two really outstanding athletes that come through that, that end up you know, being exceptional, but we will have strong British teams in, in, at the Olympics and World Championships for many, many years to come. That is the, the outcome of, 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 of a system that's been put in place, and that's one thing I'm very proud of, being CEO of an organisation. We've worked really hard over this last 10 years to put a sustainable system in place that continually allows talented gymnasts to come through. And I think that the only thing that could challenge that that um, sustainable system is our financial viability as an organisation. We currently have built our reserves up and we are currently a very strong financial organisation. So one would hope government funding retains its, its level. We're certainly planned for the time when it might not. So we've done some good future financial planning as well. But I think this country's government, regardless of who's in government, will support sport. So I think with those two things still staying strong, I think the future is only bright for British gymnastics. I wish them, you know, the best in the future. And, and when I do go back and retire and enjoy my retirement, I will watch them with great interest and, and hope that they will continue to produce the way they're producing now. What a lovely uh, way to, to end this conversation. Jane, thank you very much. Um, it's been uh, enlightening talking to you. You've been listening to Joining the Dots, brought to you by Hanover. Thanks for listening.